right? And everyone just saw the gaggle of kids that left. That means very soon we're going to be asking you to help volunteer with the kids' ministry because right now it's just Pastor John and Miss Becca, and we are in dire need of more volunteers to help with this. It is a growing ministry. We want to keep raising up the next generation, and so it is on us who have covenanted with all of these families to help raise their children in the faith to then cash in on it. Now is the time to cash in, and so very soon you will be asked how you can help raise these kids up. And you are not too old, nor are, well, you can be too young. If you're under 18, you're excused. But you can't be too old, and, and you can go, and you can help Miss Becca um, lead these kids and raise them to know Jesus. Okay, that's coming your way. Amen? All right. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. And we'll begin in verse 13, and we'll go through verse 20. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, I encourage you, there's a pew Bible right in front of you. I encourage you to follow along, to read with me. Um, th this is done for many reasons, but it's found on page 962. Um, I ask you to do this for two reasons. One, because it's good to get in the habit of opening a Bible and finding a scripture and reading it. And two, it has been translated into the language you read so that you can read it yourself. And you don't have to have blind trust in me that what I am telling you the Bible says, it actually says. You can check it out for yourself, and it is a good thing you can check it out for yourself. I encourage you to check it out for yourself. Knowing what the scripture says and reading along is a good thing, and it's a healthy thing for you to do. And so our scripture today is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. There it's written, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would, please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I think most of us would agree that the times we are living in, this moment in time we are living in, 
is one filled with political divisiveness, but it is also an interesting time to be a person of faith, of Christian faith, in our country. We can agree on that, correct? So there's a, a phenomenon, it's, and it's nothing new, but it's kind of catching trends, and because of social media, it gets exacerbated and can become the fancy of some as they gather wind of it, and it's called deconstruction. And so there's deconstruction of people's faith going on, and now they're doing it in public and through social media and talking about it. And what deconstruction is, is they're taking their faith of what they grew up knowing and going to church, and now they are poking holes in all of it. And along the way, they end up in a place that doesn't look like Christian anymore. And most of it stems from making liberal, progressive, theological moves along the way. Now, I'm cautioned to say liberal and progressive when talking about theology, knowing it's 2022, and as soon as I said those words, all of your ears perked up, perked up hey, the pastor's about to get political here. <laughs> if you know me, you know that's not the case. The opposite in theological terms of liberal and progressive is orthodox. And orthodox is, is the historical church, tree, church teaching through history of what has been true and taught through churches and hasn't been called heresy, right? Liberal theologies tend to take you into heresy, into, into deep heresy, but it's nothing new. Liberal progressive theology, it's nothing new. We find it in our scripture. We can look directly within the Jewish people and see that there were a, a section of them called Sadducees. Sadducees would have been the liberal progressive Jewish people of the time. For you see, they did not believe in demons. They did not believe in angels, nor did they believe in the resurrection. Despite all the law and the prophets saying those were true. So they held liberal theological understanding of it. Later in church history, you'll find that uh, uh, this man named Pelagius comes along and, and he goes against original sin, saying not all of us are born with the original sin of Adam, despite the teaching in Scripture that says we are either under Adam or we are under Christ. Those are the only two options for everyone born. And, and, and he says that man is basically good. That all people are, are basically good. Yet in Romans, Paul teaches that none are good. And all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's a church father named Irenaeus. See, when you go back in church history, first century, you get these great names. Pelagius, Irenaeus. Right? Nobody's naming their kid Irenaeus anymore. But Irenaeus, great church father Irenaeus, in the second century, he writes a book called Against Heresies. Now, it's actually a fascinating book when you read it translated into English, because when you try and read it in his Greek, if you don't know Greek, you're not going to get a word of it. But what he does in that book is he takes the heresies of that day, which uh, look a lot like liberal theological perspectives today, and he takes them, and because he is a Christian, he goes to the source, which is scripture, to refute all of them. 
and, and, and you can find them in there today. And so it, it's really fascinating as deconstruction happens all around us and, and people are, are proud and, and go and put out their hashtag progressive Christian or hashtag exvangelical and, and, and they'll go out there and some of the things they say are the very heresies Irenaeus first pointed out in the second century. And most of this departure begins when you begin denying the authority of Scripture. Because first, you have to take what is the source of all truth and begin denying that it holds any value to be more true than anything else. And so we're going to go down what this rabbit hole looks like today. Right? So if you're going to start making these liberal, progressive, theological moves, it begins by denying the authority of Scripture, which kind of sounds like this. Well, you know it was actually written by a bunch of different dudes, right? And a long time ago, over the course of thousands of years, the earth couldn't possibly be created in six days. That's not how it actually went down. Those are more stories. You know, every culture has a flood story. This Noah just happens to be... Ours. They were trying to explain things and how they came about. It was written by men. It's, it's, it's full of errors and, and contradictions. It's not the word of God. And, and because we are a modern or postmodern person, modernism says that what is old is useless and what is new is true. Right? Because we're enlightened now. We have progressed beyond the old ways of thinking, and we understand how the world really is. I mean, look at the technologies and the industries we have today. We're way more advanced than the people of the first century. Surely we are. But the problem is, once we begin denying the authority of Scripture, saying it has the errors and it was simply written by man, we are immediately put at odds with God. Because the scripture says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. It is good. It is worthy. It is to be used for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Paul's not one to mince words. A, a, a former Jewish person himself, one who is trained in, in um in the writing style and, and in rhetorics, he is there and he says all scripture. He didn't say some scripture because if he meant some scripture, or if he meant most scripture, Paul would have said some or most. But it is written all scripture. All scripture is to be used. It is good for the teaching, for the training, for the discipling, for the living. And denying the authority of scripture is dangerous. It's dangerous. And, and Jesus tells us that, that the way is narrow and the gate is, is narrow. But the path to destruction is wide. And that when we begin denying the authority of Scripture, we have gone to open up the gate to the wide path. Because it happens. We're humans. We, we like to think we're in charge. And, and so we can read the scripture and we can get offended by God's word. It's, it's, it's an offensive gospel, right? Paul tells us the gospel is offensive into itself. 
when we actually think about it and we understand the gospel, that all we contributed to our salvation is the very sin required that needs to be atoned for, that is offensive. What do you mean? I can't do anything on my own to get to heaven? You mean these good works don't help me get closer? It doesn't make me better than Sam or Sally? That's offensive. I can't contribute to my own salvation. We're supposed to be able to work for things, and we earn things, and we merit things. But the gospel says, no, what you deserve is simply wrath. And we struggle with it because for part of us, we're semi-Pelagians. We don't think all people are good people, but we think we are. So we struggle. And so we get offended and we say, well, that's one of those parts that's wrong. You know, the Bible written so long ago, it doesn't understand the 21st century man or woman. And when we start writing off what the scripture says and denying its authority and its truth, essentially we are saying this statement, although we don't say it out loud. But this is the statement we say. We say, I, in my emotions, in my feelings, and my sin, are more right than Scripture. The foolishness, the hubris it takes to make such a statement. As Christians, we, we have held as an orthodox view, not only as Christians, but the Jewish people, that all the law and the prophets, the scripture in its totality, is God's word. It is infallible. And we have understood the teaching that we are but sinners, meaning we are extremely fallible. And so when we disagree with God's word and we begin taking our own emotions because we're offended by God's word, so it couldn't possibly mean that, we are saying in that moment that the word of God is more fallible than us. Or in Paul's word, I, a sinful wretch, am right. And the Bible is wrong. So it begins. That's step one in the move away from the truth. And then next comes when sins are pointed out in Scripture. And you say, well, I have that sin, and remember, we think we're a good person. Therefore, it can't be a sin. It doesn't understand the 21st century man or woman. We've progressed since then in that understanding. And then it comes, not only are we good, I've seen, I have friends, they're not believers. They, they're good people. They do good things. They live a nice life. Well, you must not have to believe in Jesus to get to heaven because surely God wouldn't commit them to hell simply because they didn't believe in Jesus. They're good people. They deserve heaven, Right? So we land there. And then, it, and then it comes to the point, as we go down this rabbit hole, that Jesus, when he died on the cross, his, his death on the cross wasn't for our salvation. No, 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 no. His death on the cross was actually uh, a, a political martyr. He, he was raging against the system. He was fighting for uh, the oppressed and for liberation. And so, and so the government came and shut him up and hung him on the cross. 
No, no, no. See, if we just follow the teachings of Jesus, we can be good people and we can just make heaven here ourselves. Think about that statement for a second. We can make heaven? Folks, we're not God. By now, most of you are wondering, why is Pastor Nathan on this rant today? We're in the Sermon on the Mount. I thought we were going to get a, a fun, uplifting sermon about how to go be salt and light to the world. And we were going to leave here feeling hunky-dory and, and, and ready to go do good and shine Jesus out to the world. It's because Jesus said this. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And it was the spring of 2014 that this verse changed my life. So a bit about me. I grew up in the church, in the Christian church, Disciples of Christ. Every day that the church was open and they had something going on, we were that family that was at church. We were there. My parents, I remember they helped put communion together. And as a kid, I would go into the, I was so excited when it was their week to do communion because when it was time to clean up, I got to drink all the extra grape juice. <laughs> right? It, it, we were there at church. I, it, it is, as part of it, and growing up, I know the Bible stories and, and, and knew them and were taught them over and over just by the sheer frequency of being in church. But it would be that I failed pastor's class in, on the way to being baptized because they had a lot of Oreos. And I paid more attention to the Oreos than I did really focusing on Jesus. And so I had to take pastor's class again the next year, and they didn't bring Oreos that year. So I passed. And then in middle school, my dad would answer the call into ministry, and he would go become a pastor in the Christian church, Disciples of Christ, as well. And, and so this uh, caused big disruption in our life. Uh, uh, we moved from a small town into a big city. He's now a pastor of a church. My dad, and he was a tire salesman. Now he's a pastor, really trying to, to wrap my head around this. But I stayed involved in the church. But when I went to college at Texas Christian University, affiliation with the Christian church, Disciples of Christ, I stepped away from church and from Jesus altogether for a number of reasons. One, I've been going my whole life. And now as a college student, waking up early on Sunday was a mere inconvenience for the sins I could commit on Saturday night. And it wouldn't be for more than five years until I met my wife, Ashley, that I would ever come back to Jesus or the church. And in fact, it was after we got engaged that it was upon her urging that as a family, we would be going to church, but it was my role to find that church. So we began looking and we found one and there were other young couples there and we loved it and my love for the Lord grew, and we got into his word, and we had great fellowship and great discipleship during that time, and I answered the call into ministry. And so we moved again, and I went to Bright Divinity School, which is the Christian Church Disciples of Christ Seminary at Texas Christian University, 
Nothing like going back home and rooting for the undefeated Horn Frogs football one more time, right? But while I was there, I realized my faith, knowing the stories, are different than knowing Jesus. Being able to tell you about Noah and the ark and the animals that went two by two is different than knowing of God's promise to save his people. And believing it. And so while in seminary, because my faith was only surface deep, the seminary was liberal and progressive. I didn't understand that at the time. And so I'm a rational human being, and their argument seemed quite rational. The Bible is written by man. There's errors to it. We, we can see all of these errors, and, and some of these stories don't add up with how we believe the world actually works. And I didn't buy all of it hook, line, and sinker, but I did a lot. And I graduated in 2012. I graduated in 2012, and I held on to the belief that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and he lived and he died on the cross as an atonement for our sins, and three days later was actually resurrected. But most everything else was up for grabs. And God called me in 2012 to go pastor First Christian Church in Cleburne, Texas. And I believed you could believe whatever you wanted and you would be saved. Because what Christ accomplished wasn't just for those who believed, it was for everyone. Because I was taught God is love. And so if God is love, how could he possibly send Someone to hell. Yeah, there's some bad people, but there's a lot of good people. How could he do that? But it's not what God's word says. And so there I was in 2014 in my office, sitting there preparing to lead the church in a Bible study on the Sermon on the Mount. And as I sat there reading through it, I hear Jesus say, therefore, whoever teaches one, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And I never knew what it was like to be convicted of my sin until that very moment. I was convicted because what Jesus said, I did. I relaxed his commandments and I taught others to do the same. I grieved that day all the wrong I had done in the name of Jesus. I asked deeply for his forgiveness. And then I shut the Bible that I use all through seminary, put it on the bookshelf, and went, because I lived in the Bible Belt, to a Christian bookstore and found a Bible that had no notes in it. No notes from seminary professors, no notes from commentaries, no notes from others, simply God's word, because I was now in a place to fully trust everything he breathed out into scripture and take it as the truth. 
I didn't need someone else convincing me of a lesser version of God's word. And I look back, and I'm in awe of his grace and his loving kindness. I was pastoring his church. I was in Jesus' bride leading people down the path of destruction, openly teaching that, yeah, a bunch of men wrote the scripture. Parts of it aren't true. Yeah, that's how they taught things in the first century, but it's 21st century. Things have changed. I was there. That was me. But that day, he put a bright light on the truth that would guide my steps every day since. A trust in his infallible word. So the question is, do, do I still struggle? Do I still struggle at being offended by God's word? Absolutely. I'm offended all the time. Like I said, the gospel's offensive. Deep in my heart, I want everybody of all time to be saved. I, I, I want everyone to be in heaven. It, it, it's a deep desire, but it's not what God's word says. God's word says through Jesus Christ, he says himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one shall come to the Father except through me. So what do you do when those moments occur? When you're still offended by what's said in God's word? Dear Christian, we've been given the Holy Spirit to help battle our flesh in those moments. To help us that when we come butting heads with the truth of God's word, and we are fighting to say, no, no, what you have said that is true in your scripture that I know better than you, that we have the power to put our emotions to the side and trust in God's unfailing goodness and truth. Because Jesus said this, he came to uphold and fulfill the law and the prophets, which is the scripture. And so, folks, the only way we will ever be salt and light in this world is not by making the gospel more palatable. It's not by making God's word to be more appetizing and, and can be taken in doses and thrown away what you don't like for an unchanging world. The only way we'll be salt and light is when we stand firm in the truth of his word. For all of it is profitable. Amen.